0: Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zielinski. The Sheila Zielinski Show. The only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, End Time Watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for the September 18th, 2015 Friday edition it is great to be on the air with you and thank you for tuning into the program today. I broadcast Monday to Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here at WeekendVigilante.com. You can also add my podcast by going to WeekendVigilante.com, clicking on that big pink podomatic button and also by going to the show archives at the top of the menu on the website and you can be sure to get all the latest archives. I wanted to apologize to people for not, there was a glitch in the show archives and Nathan Leal's show did get uploaded late this week and I wanted to apologize. Folks, if you have not heard Wednesday and Thursday's show with Minister Pat McIntosh, an incredible woman who had a dramatic impact on my life, if you have not heard those shows, you need to go back and listen to those. What a powerful, anointed two days with her, I went back and listened to them and I just was, wow. Just absolutely, I can't say enough about those two shows and the feedback that I've got is incredible. I think those two shows are the best shows I've heard this year. Literally, they're that powerful. So I do hope you go back and listen to that. I'm sure you will get a lot. I'm absolutely certain that God will speak to you in those shows. Very, very powerful stuff. And speaking of powerful women... We'll have one of those joining me today it's my good friend from texas hey she's proof don't mess with texas it's minister carla butod and she is here to join me today to talk about a very interesting topic but it's also very controversial and one that we have felt led in our spirit to tackle and so she's here to join me today to talk about this particular topic miss carla butod welcome back to the program It is such a pleasure to have you back on.
1: Thank you, Sheila. It's great to be back with you as always.
0: I see a very interesting theme playing out lately, and it's something that God has really been putting on my heart. And I was trying to really pray on how to approach this, how to address this, because I think there can also be a way to present things and a way not to. And we always want to do things out of love and we always want to do things out of reproof because we want to make sure that we're following the word of God. The word is a discerner. In order to understand God, we need to understand his word. And some of the things that I'm seeing are not lining up with the word of God out there. And one of the things that I have a concern about is a movement that's been happening And it really is an anti-Christ movement, but it also has overtones of feasts and festivals and traditions and holidays and language pronunciations. And it's this Hebraic Roots slash Israel movement. It's probably the most misunderstood topic Ever And it's probably the most fought about with the exception of the pre-trib versus post-trib rapture. But it really is an Antichrist spirit. And, of course, we live in that time where these ruler spirits, particularly Antichrist spirit, is upon us like a black cloth. And we really need to be careful that we're lining up things properly with scripture we're not building a doctrine on something so carla we're going to get into this teaching so let's start off i see something happening with a lot of these feasts and traditions that people are going back to the sabbath on the saturday and you've got to go back to this and that And i'm thinking well are we going back to the slaughtering of goats here soon so weigh in on this topic
1: well the problem is as it was when jesus walked the earth when he said that the traditions of men make the Word of God of no effect. And as I, you know, have been thinking about this topic for many years now and have been confronted with it again and again on my travels as I go to teach places, and um, it really was something that the Lord impressed upon me to begin to address, even though it was something I never, ever wanted to even get into because people are so sensitive about this subject that, you know, they could think that you are being like anti-Semitic or anti-Jew or against the nation of Israel, which that is not at all what we are talking about here. And I'd like to just give some scriptures that this subject is based on. And one of them is from 1 John 2.18. It says, Little children... It is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. And to set up, you know, to have a very good understanding of what Antichrist is, I'm going to give some other scriptures. Antichrist is actually an opponent of the Messiah, or Antichrist. Now that was written 90 to 95 years after the death of Jesus. And we're not talking about the Antichrist, we're talking about the spirit of Antichrist that the Church was warned would come in in the last days, and it's going to be so slick that if the days were not shortened, there would no flesh be saved, it says in Matthew 24. Right. So, in 1 John two twenty-two, it says, "...who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ?" He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Then 1 John 2.23 says, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. So if you don't acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Scripture makes it very clear that you don't have the Father either, which is very clear. 1 John 2.24 says, Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning, if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. So John is suggesting to us that we need to adhere to the things that we heard in the beginning and learned. First John four three says and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Second John 1 7 For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. In First Timothy 4.1, this is a, a scripture that should really speak to us in these days. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And God made it very clear to me that people are not going to fall away from the faith and then give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Right. It will be people of faith who start giving heed to these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils that will cause them to fall away from the faith. They are seducing spirits. A seducing spirit is an imposter or a misleader, a deceiver. Seduce means to draw away or entice in any manner, and we have a lot of things coming into the church in these days that are enticing Christians. They appeal to our senses, they're exciting, they're fascinating. You know, all these words are also found in witchcraft. When a person is bewitched, they're fascinated, they're drawn away, their focus is taken off of what they really need to be focused on. So as we talk about these things, it's not really only to inform Christians, but it also is like a warning, because I'm speaking from my heart, as I know Sheila is, just as Jesus did in Matthew 24, 4, take heed that no man deceive you. You know, there are many people in Christendom that started out right, And they're being pulled away. And the problem with that is, is they're taking all of their followers with them. You've heard the term when you were a kid, your mother would say, well, if everybody jumped off the bridge, would you jump off the bridge? (laughs) Right. Well, you know, this is, I am wondering if some of these followers of these men are realizing where it is departing from the faith. From the Word of God, that is to be our guide, the Word of God. All my Christian life, I've been very careful that if something was proposed to me by anybody, I would go check the Word. And if I don't see it in the Word, I'm sorry. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to get involved in it. Because that end-time deception is going to be so slick. If possible, deceive even the very elect. We need to be very Cautious about these things. And so that's the reason that I think this really needs to be brought to the surface. You know, when I first started talking about this, it was in fear and trembling, not of God, but of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me tell you, when Jesus came on the scene and he began to share the truth of God, and it spoke against the traditions that were in place at that time. They wanted to kill him, his own people. They were ready to kill him. They were ready to throw him off of a cliff. They said he had a demon. They called him a blasphemer by claiming to be the son of God. They said that he cast out demons and did his works by the power of Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And those were the religious folk of the day. So I kind of had that same trepidation, you know, to bring some of these things up for fear that people would want to kill me. (laughs) You know, it even has, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, it's Jesus who said it, someday they're going to kill you and think they're doing God a favor. Yes. I mean, this can really get out of hand. Jesus said in Mark 7, verse 6, he said to the people, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things you do. So that's the danger in it right there, is bringing these traditions of all of the practices of Judaism into the church. It's a mixture. It's dangerous. And it causes confusion. You know, I've talked to a lot of pastors and teachers over the years, and many have, you know, they'll ask, well, what do you think about all this stuff? And I said, oh, gosh, don't get me started. And they're like, really? You know, I, I wouldn't have thought, you know. But see, that's the problem. Nobody wants to speak up about it. Right. And because of that, more and more Christians are being sucked in by this. You know, when I became a Christian thirty nine years ago, and even as recently as ten or fifteen years ago, I had never even heard of some of the things that have made their way into the church. The prayer shawls, you know having a supposedly a born-again Christian who used to be In Judaism now back in my day you had your Christians and those that were Jews you didn't even hear them referred to as Messianic Jews like if I had been an atheist before I got saved I don't call myself a Messianic atheist (laughs) or a Christian atheist you're either a Christian or you're the other I don't understand why the need is to differentiate yourself from a Christian
0: Messianic Jewish rabbi, there's a handful.
1: Right. A rabbi? We don't have rabbis in Christianity. We have preachers and we have prophets and we have apostles, but we don't have rabbi. Rabbis are what the teachers are called in Judaism.
0: The Hebrew word for rabbi is master, and Jesus said, call no man master. Right. Or father. Right. The Catholics got it wrong, too.
1: (laughs) That's true. And here's another danger. You know, I I was really careful whenever I began to put this together. And, you know, I had put down notes over the years that I'd been confronted with and things. And and I asked the Lord to, you know, edit it. If there's anything in here, Lord, that I don't need to say, show it to me. If there's anything that I don't have in here, show me that. And he took me right to Revelations chapter 2. And it says in verse 1, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, And has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. This is Jesus. I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly. And I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now see... I don't want to hear those words whenever I see Jesus. You left your first love. Who is our first love? Jesus. But now we're wandering off. Just You know, the Israelites did that forever. Forever. You know, in Amos, God rebuked the people. In Amos 5, verse 21, he said, I hate, I despise your feast days. And I will not smell in your solemn assemblies, Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have you offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But you have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch, who was a chief deity of the Ammonites, the God they sacrificed their children to, and Keum, an idol to an he- a heathen deity, your images, the star of your God, which you made to yourselves. And also, Stephen confronts the Jews in Acts chapter 7. You really need to read the whole thing. It's quite revealing but in verse forty-three, Acts seven forty-three, yea, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, who was an Egyptian god, figures which you have made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. What star are they talking about
0: here? Well, I'll tell you what they're talking about—the six-pointed hexagram the Star of David's, and I'll tell you right now, that has such intrinsic, Kabbalistic connection. When you have a six-pointed star formed by two cross triangles, that's not only a symbol that appears on synagogues and tombstones, but it's also on Babylonian, Grecian medieval cathedrals. And if you look at the sign of King David, it should be a shield of David. But, you know, you got these medieval occultists who attached magical powers to the hexagon. Hi. And, of course, the Kabbalah, the occultist magic book, it popularized the use of the so-called Star of David as protection against spirits. So, right. I mean, I think it's very important. If you look at Exodus 20, verse 5, according to the scriptures, it talks about warnings against contact with the occult and we have mm-hmm. to be very careful because when you have these graven images which constitute the worship of demons and you're just throwing it out there and you know it's all over the these flags and it's all over synagogues and people just oh the star of david well if you ask an orthodox priest what it is most of them don't even know mm-hmm.
1: it's also used in the masonic temple Yes. It's also found in the Mormon temple because Joseph Smith was a Mason. It's also on the yoga chart of chakras, and it's also on the charts of satanic signs and symbols.
0: Yes, it is. And I
1: just find it so ironic that it ends up on the flag of Israel,
0: yeah. and now
1: it's making its way into the Christian church.
0: It is. Now,
1: the origin came in with Solomon when he was, he was married. He married the daughter of Pharaoh. Now, here here are the uh, scriptures around that. In First King eleven one, it says, you know, and and Solomon started out really good, really good, but he didn't end up so good. You need to read his whole story if you don't know it. Those who are listening, in First King eleven one, but King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites. Zidonians and Hittites, he married the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt. The, the king of Israel married the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt, who was a totally godless nation. They were idol worshipers. They were Baal worshipers. Verse 2, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, who was the Phoenician goddess of love and fertility, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. See, he turned to idol worship. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemish, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he, for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods and the lord was angry with solomon because his heart was turned from the lord god of israel see he left his first love which had appeared unto him twice so see all of his wives were baal worshippers they practiced the dark arts and the star was among their symbols that they brought in when she married Solomon, just like when we marry, we drag all of our stuff to our new house. And she brought all of her satanic stuff into Solomon's house, and then he embraced them and incorporated them, mixed it in with that which God had instructed him.
0: Absolutely. So
1: that's what it is. It's all over these artifacts. People go to Israel, they visit Israel, and they bring all of these things into their home, which, by the way, are artifacts from the religion of Judaism, which is Antichrist. Now, people gasp when I say that, but we read the scripture in the beginning. He who denies that Jesus is the Christ, who denies and it does not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is a liar and an antichrist. And yet we see so many of these leaders leading their people into almost a worship of the Jewish people. Now, listen, I understand and I know, and this has nothing to do with with being against the Jews, this has to do with Antichrist. And I know that the that the Jewish people will play a large part in the end times, the nation of Israel as well. But I'm talking about right now. There is a doctrine of devils out there that say that the Jewish people don't even have to be saved. It contradicts the word of God and we need to be real, real careful giving heed to anyone who is contradicting the Word of God. When this movement, when the people return to their homeland, it's not because the Christians sent them an airplane ticket to get to Israel. It's going to be a supernatural move of God, just like it was when He brought them out of Egypt. A supernatural move of God.
0: Absolutely. Well, and let's talk about this Yeshua and Yahweh thing. I want to make it clear to people that Aramaic is not Hebrew, although most people refer to it as such. But Aramaic is the Babylonian language the Jews adopted when they went to Babylon around 600 BC. And in Babylon, the city, don't forget, of total religious confusion, the Jews translated the ancient Paleo-Hebrew scriptures into this new Aramaic tongue and if you look in the Strong's it's referred to as Chaldean and it's important to recognize at the beginning that any words or spellings rooted in the Chaldean the pronunciations cannot be taken to be the accurate way a name or word was spelled or pronounced in Paleo-Hebrew Yahweh is not a Hebrew name. We can't know in that Tetragrammaton what the original vowels were, but the point is Yahweh is not a Hebrew name. Can we place our trust of eternal salvation in a Babylonian guest name? No, we can't. Aramaic was the language of Mystery Babylon. It was adopted by the Jews. Again, you know, it replaced a lot of that ancient Paleo Hebrew and the Masoretic Text and the Dead Sea Scrolls are in the Babylonian Aramaic alphabet. So I think people have to be careful when they're throwing out these words. I'll tell you what, the name of Jesus has power. In Jesus' time, they all spoke Greek. Koine Greek was the language at the time. So I think people have to get off this kick of trying to... It's like Satan is trying to make sure nobody actually is saying the name of Jesus.
1: Exactly. And that... Uh, two is part of the move of the antichrist spirit i mean i've even noticed even in christian gatherings sometimes that pastors will end their prayer by saying in the name of your dear son instead of saying jesus i've been confronted too with the yeshua thing and even recently i was Doing a meeting and a, a man came up to me afterwards and said you know you really should be calling Jesus by his real his real name you need to be using his real name and then, and then he said you know Yeshua uh, and I tried to be very careful in the position that God has me and so for years when people would confront me with these things I would say well you know thank you for sharing that with me you know <laughs> And I wouldn't, I wouldn't yay, nay, agree, disagree, dispute. No, I'd just say, well, thank you for sharing that with me. Well, I was all prepared to say that, and I felt a nudge in my spirit. And I knew God was saying, no, you don't. Don't you do that. And so I kindly told the man after he gave me his little lecture, I said, sir, let me just tell you where I am with all that. I have been walking with the Lord for 39 years. And we're pretty tight. And I would think that if Jesus was upset with me by calling him Jesus and wanted me to call him something else, that he would have let me know that by now.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, if he wanted you to be celebrating certain feasts and holidays, etc., don't you think it's something that if we're pressed into the Word, we're going to get our nudge in our spirit, we're going to bear witness with that in our spirit that yes. we should look at something else because I'm not saying that we don't learn things over time and we evolve and grow and change and we might change our opinion. When I first became a Christian, I was sold out on the pre-trib rapture. So sure, when you study out the word and you press into the scripture, God may show you things, he may reveal things to you. You may change your mind, but let me tell you, in all my 30 years as a Christian, I've used the name of Jesus lots. I've cast out devils with that name. I've laid hands on the sick, and they've recovered in that name. The name of Jesus has power. So isn't it convenient that we are being taught not even to use the name?
1: Right. Even in the Greek, they called him Jesus. They didn't call him Yeshua. We call him Jesus. We're not Hebrews, and we're not Jews. You know, people can mention God all day long. I mean, people that are not even Christians mention God and nobody says anything about it. But you mention that name of Jesus, it will stir up some problems. And it's just like it says in the Word, First Peter 2, 3, If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, He's speaking of Jesus. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Isaiah 28, 16, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto ye therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people. See, the Gentiles were not a people. Because they were not Jews, but now are the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. See it speaks of Jesus as a stone of stumbling. He became a stone of stumbling to the Jews because they do not recognize him as the Messiah, as the one who had been talked about forever in the Old Testament that would come. He became the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense, and still to this day is.
0: Then you have these rabbis that'll say, yeah, never mind about the Torah. We go by these 38 volumes of the Talmud. I actually had an Orthodox rabbi say, you know what, we go by the Talmud. The Talmud, he said, is the early books of the Jews. It's known as the Wisdom of the Rabbis. He said it is... 38 volumes of doctrines of these rabbis it's the Jewish Wikipedia the ages if you will you know you look at the roots of the scholars and the authors who wrote it it's pretty incredible and in there it says that Jesus Christ is burning in a hot vat of excrement mm-hmm. I mean that's their exalted book So if somebody has that much of an antichrist spirit, you know, we're always throwing out this, we stand with them. Are we really wanting to align ourselves with people that think that Jesus Christ is a pig to spit upon? I just can't reconcile that within my spirit.
1: No. And, you know, I have a friend that started reading the Talmud and she was at one of the teachings when I was talking about this stuff. She came to me afterwards and said, you know, I've been reading the Talmud, and she said, do you know that it says in there they tell the men that it is okay to have sex with children between the ages of two and nine? It wouldn't surprise me. You know, a lot of people, they don't even know really what they believe in. They say they do, but do you really? Have you really searched it out?
0: Well, let me tell you that they almost unequivocally, whether you ask five cross sections of rabbis, whether it's conservative rabbis, Orthodox rabbis, they'll tell you they don't even really believe in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Mm-hmm. And so what's stunning, the Talmud is an evil book, in my opinion, this is Sheila speaking. Don't get mad at Carla, but I mean, I'm telling you right now that Talmud is straight out of the bells of hell. If they reject the Messiah, what does that tell you, Carla?
1: Well, in the scriptures I read earlier, it says, Whoso denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. They don't even have God. You know, it is this way. In the Old Testament, the Jews were God's people. The Jews had God. Everybody else was on the outside. They were hopeless.
0: Let's not forget that Israel was divided. There was 10 tribes that ended up being ruled by a bunch of wicked kings. So Mm -hmm. these are not descendants of David. And when you think about the word Jew, it really comes from Judah. And at the time of Christ, Judah had become known as Judea, and that was under Roman rule. Jesus himself prophesied that Jerusalem would be burned, the temple right. would be destroyed, and the Jews would be led away captive into all right. nations. You have to understand the history of the Jews from 70 AD until that time. Their religion's no longer based on the Bible whatsoever. Right, right. Well, and you know,
1: I found it interesting that Jesus, you know, it, it started, I, I love the book of Matthew, chapter 5, when. You know, Jesus says over and over again, you have heard it said of old, this, but I say unto you, this. You know, he was coming against all of their traditions and even some of their laws. And so that's why they hated him so. But in Matthew chapter 10, he tells the disciples when he sent them out, he said, it says in Matthew 10:5, these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded him, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So in the beginning, Jesus was sent to his people. His people. Okay? Then in John chapter 1, It says in uh, verse 6, There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He, John the Baptist, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighted every man that cometh into the world, speaking of Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own. Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. Clear and simple. They, re- they rejected him. Okay, then in Acts 26, when Paul was talking to Agrippa, he says, he's given his testimony, Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So now, since the Jews have totally rejected Jesus, now Jesus is opening the way to the Gentiles to receive Jesus. Even when they were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said, I'm washing my hands at this. He said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. And they said, his blood be upon us and on our children. That's a self-inflicted curse right there. They cursed themselves. And then in Romans, it is said in Romans 10, 19, he said, But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and said, I was found of them that sought me not. See, he's talking about the Gentiles. Even in Isaiah, he says, I it was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. See, the Jews were the ones who were waiting for this Messiah. But then when he came, they rejected him. Right. Romans ten twenty one it says, But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gangsaying people. And again in Romans eleven seven, it says, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. See, Israel, the Jews, did not obtain what they were looking for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David says, it, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back all day. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Who? God was going to provoke the Jews to jealousy with the Gentiles isn't that an interesting term how was God going to provoke them to jealousy they rejected his son Jesus Christ so now the son is given to the Gentiles who they received and because we had were able to receive Jesus because they rejected him we should be as Christians so joyful so prosperous, so healthy, so peace-loving, and so blessed that the Jews would be hunting us down to know our Jesus. So what's, what's going wrong here? Instead of us provoking the Jews to jealousy, we're embracing them and their traditions and going backwards instead of bringing them forward. That's the injustice that I see.
0: Well, and the bottom line is we have peace with God by trusting in the finished work of the cross, of Jesus Christ alone. You add anything to that and then you fall into a false gospel. Mm -hmm. God gave the feast to point our spiritual fathers towards Jesus Christ. They were the type and shadows and he was the real thing. The author of Hebrews warns his audience that professing believers who were tempted to go back to the temple and the old covenant shadows that to go back is to deny that christ has come so you know right. i think we have to be careful what we're throwing around out there for doctrines we don't keep the feast by keeping the feasts instead yeah. we keep the feast by clinging to christ he's our feast
1: that's right well you know it specifically says that if you're going to live by the law you have to obey the whole law and you know when i'm confronted with the, um, the eating laws and all of that, I just ask them, you know, they confront me about my eating laws, and that lets me know immediately they're following the laws that were given to the Hebrews. I immediately say, well, where are you burning your sacrifices is what I want to know. <laughs> I mean, really, we, we have to be on one side or the other. You cannot mix those two. It won't work. What are Christians doing? Why do we need to be involving ourselves in the Jewish traditions? And you know what? Here again, I'm not against the Jews. But the best way that we can pray for them, because, you know, we do want them to be saved, is to start binding that Antichrist spirit that is over them. It's a ruler spirit. And you know what? I have a testimony of my nephew who was adopted. And he was raised in a Christian church. But when he turned 13, he told his parents, my brother and sister-in-law, he wasn't so sure about all this Jesus stuff. Well, it was, you know, crushing to them because they had trained him up in the Christian church. Well, later I was told, and I had never known this since he was adopted, that his birth father or his grandfather was an Orthodox Jew. I started to put the two things together, and I thought, you know what? We need to start binding the Antichrist spirit off of the nephew because of the the grandfather being an Orthodox Jew. There is an Antichrist spirit that has come down the bloodline. I started binding that Antichrist spirit off of his life, and about a year or two later, his mother told me that he was praying once again. Wow. And so you know, that Antichrist spirit is is a strong man. It's a ruler spirit over people's lives. And sometimes it it will keep them from being able to receive Jesus Christ. To it, it will keep them from hearing the gospel. It says that their their eyes were blinded and their ears were deafened. And they really they cursed themselves. There was a place, you know, when Pilate, when they brought Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate says, Well, what will you then that I shall do unto him who is he called the King of Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate asked them, "Why? Wow, what has he done? And they cried out more exceedingly, Crucify him. So he turned them over and released Barabbas, delivered Jesus, and then he washed his hands before the people, and said, "I am innocent of the blood of this just person." And then all the people cried and said, "His blood be upon us and on our children." That's what the Jews were yelling. So see that that's a that is a self inflicted curse right there. The yeah. blood of Jesus be upon us and upon our children. That's dangerous. That see that's that's what I don't understand you know it and here again it's been within the last I guess 15 years i would never even heard of a prayer shawl that is what they use in Judaism and yet the church channels on TV are selling this stuff and making millions making merchandise of you actually you know what it says in second Peter 2, 1, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they, with feigned words, make merchandise. Of you. Right. you know, we have just become someone to buy the propaganda, not from the Jews, but from the Christians who have embraced all this stuff. I can hear Paul when he said to the Galatians, oh, foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you?
0: Paul also said in Hebrews, they're describing his Hebrew roots as dung. He actually says that in Philippians 3, mm-hmm. 1 through 8, dung well yeah. there you go people
1: <laughs> right but you know it's like i was confronted once because of something that i said about a prayer shawl a, a lady had come to me and told me about how this woman was just so full of fear that she just actually trembled and she just laid her to I'd never even heard of it I, I knew what a prayer shawl was never heard it called a to so she said I just put my tallit on them and they settled right down. And I said, you put your what on them? (laughs) And she said, a tallit. And I held my hands up because I didn't know what she was talking about. And she said, honey, a prayer shawl. And I went, oh, the prayer shawl. Now, I didn't say anything to her that day, but I did say later in, in the witchcraft teaching that I did that if you think, that that prayer shawl has any power of its own to do what you said it did, that is witchcraft. You're using it like a charm or some form of spell. And, you know, people get really offended when you say something like that. But you said something very key just a while ago, Sheila. All of these things were types and shadows of things to come, the fringe, the healing, the, the tassels, all those things were types and shadows of what Jesus Christ would be and is. We don't need a little mezuzah on our house, which is symbolic of the blood of Jesus. We have the blood of Jesus. If you think that something on your house like that is going to keep you safe, it's witchcraft that's another problem i see with it they're they're leading christians right into out and out witchcraft and they don't even realize it
0: are we going to pick and choose which ones we go for well we'll do some of what the levitical priests do back into sacrificing lambs and bulls i mean i think this whole thing has just got out of hand and all we're saying today folks is have caution in this and have discernment because again Christ is greater than the shadows again. So should we celebrate these feasts? Not if by should, we mean we have an obligation to do them. It depends on where our hearts are, but the Bible prescribes liberty. Paul tells us that one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. You know, I have no quarrel with a person who wants to celebrate these feasts, but I do have a caution, Carla, because my concern about some who celebrate these feasts and are off saying all these names, and it reminds me of Elijah and the showdown of the prophets of Baal when he said, how long are you people going to falter? You've got one foot in this and one foot in the things of Baal. It's not okay to worship God when you're also dabbling around in Baal worship either. And I think we just have to be careful because our subculture can carry these subtleties. And as you said in the beginning, seducing spirits, seducing spirits, they're seducing, which denotes it's very subtle.
1: Right. You know, a very dear friend of mine, uh, I was talking to her about some of this stuff and because she was going to a lot of these meetings, and we were having lunch. And she said, but, you know, we can go to these things. And while she was talking, because I knew where she was going to go, you know, we can, like, eat the meat and spit out the bones and that that kind of thing. And I pulled her water glass over to myself, and I pretended to put three drops in it And then I moved it back to her. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, that is a glass of water. And I just put three drops of poison. Most (laughs) of it is good. There's only a tiny bit of poison in there. Are you going to drink it? Right. It's the same thing. And that is the danger. See, as I said in the beginning, when you start giving heed to these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It will pull you right away from the faith. And you know what? In Second Timothy 3.13 it says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then we're told, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And see, that's all I'm saying tonight in this, is that we need to go back to our first love. We need to adhere to the things we learned in the beginning and a lot of this new stuff that's coming in. Listen, I'm not only concerned about the Jewish movement that I see moving into the church, but nowhere in the Word of God do we see Jesus and his disciples laying around and listening to music and soaking. It's like Christianized Hinduism. It's another mixture.
0: It's like Chrislam, a little bit of Islam with like, a little bit of Christianese there, good old Rick Warren. That's dangerous.
1: It is. And, you know, the thing about it is that's what the wineskin parable is about. You, you can't take the old stuff and put it in the new. You know, people that confront me about these things, I said, listen, you need to go read Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10 and see how many times it says we have done away with the old for something new and better. The old was abolished, the new covenant. It says it many, many times. It makes it so clear that we are not to mix these things together. It's dangerous.
0: Absolutely. Well, on that note, you're so right. And I think, bottom line, the answer is Jesus Christ, not a mixture. It's Jesus Christ and. The Word of God. The Word is a discerner. And be not deceived, folks. It's very important in these end times that we don't get distracted by all this stuff that's clamoring for our attention that we keep our eyes fixated on Jesus. Carla, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And I really thank you for weighing in on this very hotbed of contention. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you, Shayla.
0: Thanks, Carla. Folks, that was Miss Carla Butaud from Texas. Her website is That's carlabutaud.com. That's C A R L A B U T A U D.com. Do check out her handiwork. She's got a lot of fantastic teachings. Today is Friday. So if you're in the Idaho area, please do get out and see Nathan Leal watchmanscry.com. Get out to his event this weekend. It's going to be quite an event and we'll want to be lifting them up in prayer as they have their solemn prayer. I think it's a very important time. We should be getting into prayer, folks. So make a commitment today that you are going to start getting in the word, really pressing into the things of God, pressing into that word. Make a commitment that you're going to spend time every day in God's Word and get yourself a good devotional. If I can recommend a good devotional, there's a book called Oswald Chambers, The Utmost for His Highest. And I have a fantastic Smith Wigglesworth devotional, very, very good devotional. You can order that at amazon.com. Those are just some tools. And I've had a couple people ask me what Bible I read. I ordered something that I really like from amazon.com and it's the companion Bible. It was recommended to me by David Lankford several years ago, and I've been reading it ever since, and it is absolutely fantastic. So, I've got the large edition companion Bible. It's fantastic, and I've actually linked it there for purchase on today's bio, which is September 18th, 2015. It really is the one that I prefer the most overall. Do not forget If you have not filled out a review at Amazon.com for Green Gospel, my book, please do so. And if you haven't purchased a copy of Green Gospel, please do so. Email me and let me know how you like the book. And also, if you have a guest idea for the show, email me as well. I want to hear from you folks. And today, if you are listening to this broadcast and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to hear from you. And thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast today. I hope you have a very blessed weekend. We'll see you Monday. Good night and God bless.